For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode of the show, I am very excited to welcome Shirley Wu and Nadi Bremer to the program. Shirley and Nadi, as you probably know, are authors of the new book, uh, Data Sketches. It's a fantastic book looking at their process of their year-long project of creating interactive visualizations. Um, it is one of the few data visualization books that have come out recently that is larger than my book, which I really appreciate. Um, and so Nadi and I and Shirley talk about a variety of different things in this week's episode. So I've noted that they've already done an interview with Colin Nussbaumer and Affleck on the Storytelling with Data podcast. They did an interview with Ali Torben on the Data Viz Today podcast, both dealing with slightly different issues, different questions. And so I wanted to make sure that our conversation would give you a little bit of a different flavor for their work and their thinking around data and data visualization. So we do talk in depth about their process of creating data visualizations. But we also talk about their process for cleaning and extracting data. That's sort of step zero in the data visualization process. And both Nadi and Shirley talk about the processes that they use in, in the book, Data Sketches. But we talk about that in a little more depth in this week's episode. We also talk about the tools that they use and we talk about some of the what they are sort of hoping for, or wishing for in the future of data visualization. So I think this is a really great interview, a really great discussion. I hope you'll enjoy it. And before we get there, let me just give you a couple of other things to uh, check out on PolicyViz. So I am about to publish a few more Excel videos if you're interested in learning how to expand your use of Excel to create data visualizations. Um, I'm also starting a new uh, series on the new Clubhouse app, which is an audio-only app. Uh, I'm starting a new uh, weekly series. It'll take place at Thursdays at 12 o'clock Eastern time. It's called All Charts Considered. Yes, it's uh, playing off of the NPR show, All Things Considered. We're going to talk about all things uh, going on with charts and data visualization. And so uh, check out uh, that app. If you need an invite, just send me a note, send me a DM, or you can send uh, anyone who's on the Clubhouse app a little note to get your invitation. So I hope I'll see you on the Clubhouse app. So before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about my guests. Shirley Wu is an award-winning creative focused on data-driven art and visualizations. She's worked with clients such as Google, The Guardian, Scientific America, and NBC Universal to develop custom, highly interactive data visualizations. And Nadi Bremer is a graduated astronomer. That's right. So if you've listened to the show, you know people come from all walks of life. So Nadi is an astronomer. She's turned data scientist, turned freelancing data visualization designer. And she's worked for companies like Google, UNESCO, The New York Times, and Sony Music. Um, and both Shirley and Nadi create amazing visualizations, amazing visualizations that are both print and online, um, as you'll hear about in this week's episode of the show. So I hope you will enjoy this week's episode of the Policy Viz podcast. And here's my chat with Nadi and Shirley. Hey, Shirley. Hey, Nadi. Great to see you. How are you both doing? Welcome to the show. 
Ooh, hello. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. I am very excited to chat with you. Congrats on the new book. It is first off, okay, so first it's it's a beautiful <laughs> book. It's amazing. And also it's larger than my book. So I really appreciate the fact that it just like sort of dwarfs my book on the bookshelf. So I, I appreciate that too. But congrats. Happy it's, to it's help. Fantastic. Happy to help. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So we have a lot to talk about, um, and I'll just I'll just preface this whole conversation for folks who are listening that you've done a couple of other podcast interviews with folks in the data viz field with Cole Naflick over at Storytelling with Data and Ali Torbin over at Data viz Today, and I'll put links to those uh, two shows. We'll try to avoid like rehashing the same topics. Um, so I have a couple of, of new questions for you, and we'll see we'll see what we can uh, talk about and cover. Um, I want to start with I think what's sort of the central tenet or theme of the book, which is the process by which you both create your visualizations. And before we get to the actual, like the, the visualization creation process, I want to start with the data part, sort of step zero of this whole process. And maybe I'll throw this over to Nadi to start, because I know um, in some of the previous other interviews I've listened to, you've talked about collecting some of your own data. And I know you come from this astronomy background, so you've worked with lots of data. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you think about cleaning data, whether you should be visualizing the data, you know, whether it's objective or not, like all these huge questions about data. If you could answer those in 30 seconds and give everybody the answer, that would be great. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Right. No, I don't have the magic answer to that. <laughs> I can, you know, it's always the, the it depends. Uh, that would be my 30 second yeah. answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so uh, for data sketches where we basically, Shirley and I went through uh, 12 different topics, and we both created our visualizations based around this sort of uh, singular topic word, like books or nostalgia or fearless. And because we wanted to create things that were fun, we were often going into directions that were less sort of not the government type data, but things like Hamilton or um, Dragon Ball Z or um, SF MoMA. Um, and uh, that, that that meant that we had to collect uh, our our own data and do it manually. And but also throughout that process, uh, for example, there is a topic where we had the Olympics, and I had this data set from the Guardian where they gathered all of the um, all of the medal winners for every Olympic game that has ever been happened since the very first one in 1896. And while I was working through that, you kind of, you know, you feel that The Guardian is a very respectable source, but, you know, even even there in such a large data set with thousands upon thousands of rows, uh, things can go wrong. So at some point, I noticed when I made my first visualization that some of the metals were missing. And then I felt like, oh, wait, of course, I need to take a step back and actually check this data set to see if things make sense. But I, I don't want to manually check every single value that would have kind of defeat the purpose of, you know, relying on a, on a data set, but also it was a personal project. So there's only so much time. Um, <laughs> so in these cases and in general, I like to find proxies. So I like to think about uh, adding total values. Like if I add up all the values from all of my separate observations, does the total make sense in a way? Or are, if we are talking about percentages, should the total add up to hundred percent? And if yes, does it actually sort of get there? Um, and for the Olympics piece, uh, one of the things that I thought about was, well, I have all of these separate medals, and if I look only at the gold medalists, um, if I add them up per Olympic edition, do they add up to the total number of events that occurred during um, each Olympic edition? Because that's that should be like a one-on-one -on -one thing. So on Wikipedia, I could find 
the number of events that occurred for each of these and I compared that to the number of gold medals that I had. And then I found some really interesting reasons why uh, either there was a difference in gold medals, for example, a wrestling match that lasted for more than nine hours after which they felt like you both get silver. <laughs> Although I, would have, I, I feel that would have been like a gold effort. Like you both yeah, get gold. Yeah, I feel like a gold effort, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but another thing was that in that particular data set, uh, for a few of the editions, the horses were also included <laughs> as having one gold, which was kind of interesting to see, like princess having being a, a woman winning gold in the Olympics and, and Lady Murka and these kinds of things. Right, that yeah. was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, but in the end, I Do felt like... Do you think like... they, had, they had a different like uh, a podium, like the podium was bigger <laughs> so the horse could get up there? <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't actually, I don't right? actually I mean, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would have been fun though. Fixing those kinds of issues and then really understanding that, okay, so now all of my gold medals do uh, do add up. I had uh, so much more trust in the data set. And uh, so even if you have data sets from wherever, it's always good to, to check to see if it kind of makes sense and don't assume from the very start that your data set is correct. Because there's always something weird and, and uh, odd going on with data sets found online. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely yeah, especially yeah especially online yeah especially online um so Shirley I want to I want to turn the question a little bit pivot it a little bit for you so when you are working with clients so I'll, I'll sort of jam these together but when you're working with clients or you're just looking at stuff visualizations uh you know out in the world are you you know for the client work are you making sure that you're going through the data do you make them go through the data like do you is there a quality control that you do with them and then when you're looking at stuff on uh, out there are you thinking about you know does it seem like the data that they're showing me like makes sense like you like does that enter your your thought process like i'm looking at this great visualization but did the person do these checks that naughty did like how do you how do you think about that as you're going through your your day to day yeah, this is a really great question. And actually, I don't think it comes as naturally as it does for you and Nadi. I think, um, and this is something that uh, is so interesting because my background is computer science and business. So I didn't come from a data background. I kind of came into this from like a coding and like, I didn't even know what data this was. Um, and so for years, I would... Um, and this is one of the big things I learned from data sketches and from Naughty, which is like for years I made data viz um, not knowing how important it is to validate and verify the data. Because for me, I'm like, oh, this is self-expression. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Both of you are like, oh God. Because <laughs> coming from a code background, I'm like, I'm just putting pretty things onto the screen. And mm. like, you know, I when I first started, I didn't even care if like other people could understand what I was trying to show as long as I had the fun coding it. And it wasn't until I started reading um, and I, I don't think I really fully grasped what it meant to make data visualizations until I started data sketches and I started reading Naughty's like data sections and reading through like, yeah, like one of the first things I read was about how she validated her data. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, whoa, this is important. And then as, as you know, I started to realize how important it was. I, I became more and more aware of it. I still don't think I'm very good at it um, because I don't think it comes to me naturally still. Mm. Um, and that's why for me, um, as one that like haven't 
even across all the years, haven't quite developed the intuition. That's why for me, it's so important to work with clients. If, if, if the, if the data set itself and the topic itself is extremely serious to work with clients that are domain experts, um, or like, I won't touch a topic or a data set that's sensitive unless I can guarantee that I'm like working with the domain expert to make sure that I'm presenting it correctly. Because, because I know that I still don't have the best intuition for verifying data. And that's why I think even when I see something, um, I'm only now just starting to develop the like spidey sense of like, wait, this doesn't, this data set doesn't, I think it's only in the last two years that I've like started to like question data viz and be like, this data source doesn't make sense or it feels misleading. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's also why in my personal projects, uh, if I just try my best to do like pop culture things that can't offend anyone, if I accidentally right. like, you right. know, don't verify all the data correctly. Right. <laughs> if I have the script from Lord of the Rings, like if I said Gimli said something that Legolas was supposed to say, like, okay. But when, yeah. you're, when, when you're when you're like showing COVID data, like that's a yeah. that's a serious mm. thing, right? That like, oh yeah, yeah. So what are those w- without you know obviously violating anything that you can't say? But what are those conversations like? Um, and I think you can both speak to this. But what are those conversations like when you're talking to clients about their data? Is it really asking them to dive in and demonstrate things to you? Well, like when you work with the data and you see something weird, you go back to them and say, "Hey, can you explain why this thing is over here?" So. Just give us a flavor of what that's like. And maybe Shirley, you can start. Then Nadia, I'm sure you have similar conversations with the folks you work with. Yeah, I don't think I have. I can remember something off the top of my head, um, like a specific incident or something. But I do try my best to go through the data myself and then try and ask them questions. But I do guiltily um, assume that uh, the data, if I'm working with the client, I do assume that the data I have is a data set I could trust. Um, right. So there's only so far you can go, right? I mean, at some point you have to like the client's giving you the data, like you yeah. sort of have to assume that they've, they've collected it objectively. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, for me, it's very much about, um, making sure that if there is any sort of, you know, inconsistencies or biases and that it gets really laid out in the methodology. Um, mm. I think that's where I go to the most. I think, um, I don't, and I'm not saying that this is a good thing. I think it's just like, tends to be because I think data, the data side is my weakest. I think I tend to um, be like, okay, so if we can't fix this in any way in terms of the data collection side, then I want to do my best to either point that out in the visualization itself or in the methodology. Mm, Cool. Now, do you have any um, stories or experience or thoughts on how you sort of handle this data issue? Yeah, so I like working with like these uh, these big diverse data sets, uh, and uh, so I think for me, maybe more than half of my client work involves data that has things. Uh, sometimes it's errors, sometimes it's things that they might have thought were had, were supposed to be interpreted in a certain way, but then it, it appears that it's more subtle than that. And I am always very sort of open and blunt about that. It's like, hey, I'm finding this in the data. I'm, uh, I thought it should be this, but now I'm seeing this. How should I interpret that? Or it's, it's always a very much of a, I don't understand this. Please explain, mm-hmm. um, kind of questions. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's because I like I come from science, but I have these 
I always write really long emails to my clients, especially the first one after I'm, I'm like going through the data. It's like really long. And I, I always also always try to give lots of examples. It's usually when uh, one is wrong, um, I'll, I'll try and find more of those specific cases where I'm seeing the same thing going wrong or, uh, or at least uh, give like very specific uh, screenshots and examples like where, you know, why I, I don't understand it. And, and for now, uh, every client has always responded in a very sort of, you know, normal human kind of way where they either explain it or they go and dig deeper or they ask somebody else who is even more closer to the data. And they, I've had recently, um, I actually had a client who for as long as he thought that a certain variable called I was the index that connected everything and it wasn't. And uh, so, so, our, so I was actually going through the data and at some point things started making didn't make sense anymore because these were basically stations uh, on the world. So they had fixed positions. But when I started digging deeper, it appeared that these positions could just suddenly swap, you know, October 23rd, it just, just swap to the, the other move. side of the, just move. Yeah, <laughs> and it appeared move. that the, the index wasn't actually um, ah. fixed. Like if they did a certain data update in their system, the index oh. indices all got re reassigned and there was oh, something wow. else oh, that no. was actually fixed. And he was like, "Oh, I never knew that. That was that was I should have saved the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You saved the day on that." Yeah, and 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 some locations were in the data set twice. Uh and that also yeah. had a very quirky reason that he also he that he also didn't realize, but they, like this was a data set of several like tens of millions of data points. Yeah. It was so big that you it's hard to uh, understand every part uh, exactly. Um, so these yeah. are actually, usually the clients are, are kind of okay with me finding quirks so they can actually fix it. Yeah. Um, Shirley, you mentioned the, the methodology. So for all of your projects or not, well, I guess my question is, do you write up a methodology document or paragraph or thing that's either internal or external or in the viz or outside the viz? Do you do that for, is that like a, a, a thing that you try to do for all of your projects? Ooh, that's also, um, so not all of them. Um, mm -hmm. I think I do them the, I'm more likely to do them the more serious a topic is and the more I want people to know about all of the considerations that we put into it. Um, and all of the places that maybe we, you know, didn't have, uh, the data or we had to make different assumptions. Um, and so I remember, uh, when I made the pandemic game, last year. The person I was working with and collaborating with, Stephen, um, he wrote up this huge document uh, methodology that like kind of explained every single thing that went into it. I remember when we worked with The Guardian, like Nadia wrote up like all of the methodology and assumptions. I think it's like, um, I write them when I want to make sure that like, um, I communicate all of the shortcomings across but i don't do them for like let's say when i made hamilton <laughs> like the mm -hmm. hamilton right. musical yeah. i wasn't like <laughs> this is how yeah. i you know right. um and so i don't do them all the time the answer is it depends on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. the old it depends yeah <laughs> yeah do you feel like um maybe i'll, I'll shift to, to naughty do you feel like having that methodology or sources section or whatever it may be, paragraph or document, do you feel like that uh, helps users or readers have more trust in the work that you're doing because you're so transparent about it? 
Oh yeah, at least I think that way. If 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 I'm, I would be the reader and I could read a methodology. I would definitely. I think that would definitely increase my my trust level if I can sort of follow along, sort of not maybe not yeah. understand every step, but it's better if I understand more. But you get a feeling, you get a you kind of understand the logic that went into doing certain steps, and then you understand how they they came up with these sort of final numbers. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've talked about data. Let's talk about the actual visualization part, because I think there's probably a lot of listeners who's like, okay, let's, let's get to the like actual creation stuff. <laughs> um, now, of course, people could just buy the book and they could read all about it. Um, but I think this process question is, is uh, maybe the biggest question in data viz, especially for people who are maybe just starting out and, you know, maybe they're accustomed to making bar charts and line charts and pie charts. And they want to, uh, I don't know, I don't know what the right word is, evolve, grow, maybe grow. Uh, they expand. want to grow. Expand. expand? They want to expand, yeah. and they want to they want to get to that point where they can create some of the stuff that's that that you that you know things like that you've created in, in data sketches. So, um, like saying, tell us about your process is a super broad <laughs> question. So I guess I'll try to narrow it in a little bit and and ask when you are going through a data set and you're visualizing, how do you move away? or expand away from these sort of <laughs> standard graph types that everybody knows and, and knows how to read, but, you know, it doesn't really grab your eye for when you see the 900th bar chart, you know, mm -hmm. on a Wednesday afternoon. So, and you've both been doing this for years, so I know it's like part of your DNA now, but all right, so I'm gonna make this two-part <laughs> question and, uh, and, and whoever wants to start. So do you start with sort of these standard sort of traditional, you know, Excel drop-down menu type graphs, like bar charts and line charts? And then how do you go from there to the sorts of things that you that you showcase in data sketches. I think I, uh, I at least I have like a, a, a process. I think uh, part of it. And, okay, uh, awesome. So when I'm trying to understand the data myself, uh, which I generally do through R, and uh, and and then I do make lots and lots of bar charts and line charts and uh, and these scatter plots to sort of really kind of build up this sort of mental model of the stories that are in in the data and what the what would be interesting to show. And once I have like I feel like I know my direction and the story that I want to tell and thinking about how to tell that to an audience in one chart in an, in an engaging way. Um, for me, I think if you're just starting out and wanting to make that step, I would definitely, at least that was my tactic. I see what other people have done and then I go and find one that I think is just awesome uh, and or actually many of them that are just awesome. So I, I use Pinterest boards for that. And I, I had had it on there and then I go, I look through my Pinterest board and I have sort of my data set and my goal in mind. And I try and sort of project that data set into the way <laughs> that that person made that specific chart. And I feel like, oh yeah, maybe if I use my, this ver variable on like the size of the circles in that visualization and I use this variable on like the lines to connect them in that in, in the same visualization, yeah, I think that could work. Uh, and then I might actually, if I really think that there is something there and I really think the, you know, that visualization is awesome, I might try and recreate it in that sense. Uh, and that's really how I started out when I had like very little experience to uh, be able to sort of come up with my own things, just, you know, steal like an artist or I yeah. like to call it remixing. So it's, mm. you're inspired by uh, a data visualization that somebody else made. Um, uh, and, but you're, you're not copycatting it, um, like one-on-one, -on -one, but you're, you're kind of 
taking things from it that you think are the reason why you actually like it so much. And sometimes when you actually project your data in their, or their kind of visualization, you might see that it doesn't work for your particular data set. You know, that's, that could happen that you need to do the process again and find it with another uh, data set. Um, and then what also helps is really just this building up of the experience of doing it more and more often. So you're you're broadening your view of the kinds of ways that data could be visualized. And then it also helps to look at things like the DataVis catalog to you know see that there is more than just bar charts and line charts. Uh, <laughs> and then it really comes with time. So at, at first I really had to do it that way. And now years later, um, I don't really do it that way anymore. I kind of always start from the data and the goals again, but then I just start sketching. Uh, and with the backlog of experience that is now in my mind, I can kind of, uh, I draw from like all the things that I've seen and try and um, come up with that. So I guess I am still remixing and stealing like an artist, but it's mm -hmm. now a little bit more internal in my mind. Right. Um, Shirley, do you have such a well-defined process like that? <laughs> I actually do have a process of my own. And I actually think that over the years, Nadia and I probably have converged in some ways because we've just <laughs> been like working together for so long. But I'll try right. and highlight the parts where we differ a little bit in our process. Um, and so for me, the process that I've developed is really because I mentioned this before, and I guess I keep mentioning it because I'm just like surrounded by the two of you that like, you know, has the data side really like data collection, data analysis, data cleaning all like so well. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like so yeah. intuitive for you. Um, and for, for me, uh, because I, you know, again, didn't have that data background. I really struggled for years to try and figure out like what is the style of analysis that makes sense for me. Um, and this is this is kind of like my ad hoc way um, that I think I want to eventually replace by like just like you know going through the books and teaching myself. But um, the process that I've kind of come up for myself over the years is I'm. Um, what I'll do is once I've finished collecting a data set, which we've already talked about um, all of the considerations that go into that, um, and then assuming that it's been cleaned and verified, um, and the first thing I do is like I kind of look at the data set and I kind of look at um, what the, all the attributes or what all of the columns I have are, and I start listing, um, and I'll do something, I don't know if anybody else does this but like I'll um I'll like list the attribute and I'll list what type of data it is and I'll I'll keep doing that and so I'll be like you know uh, this is quantitative this attribute is quantitative or qualitative or um it's temporal or um and then once I have that I'll like look at the columns I have available and I'll be like oh um you know this makes me think of like this makes me think of this question or it makes me have this curiosity or like now i have this hypothesis about data the process i have now is i'll go and i'll like put the data set into um vega light uh, I'll, I'll get like an observable notebook and that way this is like my version of naughty's r um and then mm -hmm. i'll kind of like start plotting it and and that's why um i like to list the type of data first because then it really helps me figure out what kind of charts quick charts it like would lend itself well with um 
And I'll explore that way and I'll, I'll try to answer all of my questions and hypotheses. And some of the questions and hypotheses I'll be like completely incorrect. But um, in that like exploration, I'll find something interesting. I'll jot that down as like another thing to explore. And I'll keep exploring until I find like the set of things I'm like, oh, this is really, this is the set of things that are really interesting. And I want to build the visualization around this to like communicate this finding um, or the set of findings. And um. And then from there, what I do is like, I completely forget all of the like quick charts that I used. And I just go like, okay, now that I have this central message, which is kind of like what Nadi was saying about her goal. Um, now that I have this message or goal, how do I want to communicate it? How do I uh, most effectively communicate it? But also in a really interesting way, such that it grabs people's attention because right. um and I guess this depends on who my audience is, but for all of my personal projects, this is for a general audience. So I want something that's like fun and delightful. Um, yeah. And from there on, I completely try to forget any charts and any visualizations of anybody's I've seen. So whereas like Nadi goes and finds like other charts that like she gets inspiration from, I try to forget all of them. And then I'll use a Pinterest board. But what I do is I try to find a Pinterest board for like mood and colors and shapes and like, like general shapes that have nothing to do with data viz. And I'll see if it like sparks my imagination. Um, mm. And then from there on, I'm like, oh, actually, like, you know, this set of like inky dots actually makes me think of like this. And then actually that like looks kind of like a like, network. And and then that's how like <laughs> I start thinking yeah. of the visualization itself. Um, and then from there on, I'll start sketching. This is um, something I used to really dislike doing, but um because of Nadi's insistence, I started doing, and now I'm appreciative <laughs> of it. Um, and I'll start sketching out my ideas and jotting them down. And then eventually I'll convert that into uh, the visualization itself. Um, and that's my process. And I think a lot of it um, is that I realize how important it is to understand the data, which is not yeah. something that I used to know. Um, and that's why I developed that whole like process at the beginning. And then also the second part about like forgetting about all of the charts, I think it really is like a weird, it gets into my head when I feel like I've copied someone. Um, I'm like, oh, I, I don't know where this comes from, but I'm like, oh, um, and I'm, I feel like this is something I'm working on getting like over but i'm like if i copy anyone i'm a fake <laughs> like i don't know but <laughs> and it really gets into my head i i'm not trying yeah. to yeah i'm i don't think that way of anyone else but like if i do it i just like beat myself up over it and and that's and that's why i think i try to look for inspiration um in tangential fields and i'll try to look for inspiration in nature or in art museums and um so yeah, and I think that's probably why sometimes I'll come up with things where like people are like, huh, <laughs> that's yeah. not what I would have expected for this data set. Right. <laughs> and I'll be like, yep, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. And it's a whole other a whole other discussion, I think, is at what point do you need to cite someone else's visualization, right? Like we don't cite William Playfair or Florence Nightingale every time we make those charts, but- yeah. At what point? And that's a whole that's a whole other discussion. I, I did want to ask, when you have that final visualization and, and and it's up and you're looking at it, it doesn't resemble 
really anything that anybody has ever created. It's like this new visualization, which is mm-hmm. like, Nadia, I think I have, well, I, I, I know I have one of your visualizations at the end of my book because it's mm-hmm. like, here's this whole library of graph types, but like, it's not finite. It's an infinite space. But when you're done and you're looking at this thing that you've created, that's like, no one's ever done it before. Are you like, holy shit, I just created like a whole new thing. Like, does that, does that like occur to you? Or are you just like, no, I just, I just made a visualization and let's see if people like it. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just made a visualization. Hope people like it. If yeah, not, yeah, yeah. I like it. Um... <laughs> I think, uh, I think for, um, I generally have that except for um, that Lord of the Rings visualization mm. that I, that mm. I created. Um, which is heavily based on a chord diagram, a specific uh, a specific type of visualization, but then kind of mutated into a thing that is like it's been evolved into something that's that's no longer compatible with the first, so it's become its own species kind of thing. Right. Um, right. And then somebody said I should make it into its own chart, and then we we called it the loom uh, with the strings. <laughs> so then it became so in itself. I was suddenly very aware that this became a new possible chart type if people wanted to use it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so sometimes it kind of still comes into my mind where I think also one of the later visualizations that I did about card capture Sakura, um, where I think, oh, this is kind of, I haven't seen this yet, but it feels like it could be, um, how do you say that, um, standardized in a way that could be used uh, um, used for other data sets as well. And that one actually comes it pops into my mind because I've had several emails from people uh, saying like, mm. hey, this kind of visual, I kind of want to use it for different data sets. So then I feel like, oh, I guess maybe it is a new kind of chart type, <laughs> even though it's a very yeah. niche thing and it will right. only be useful for like a handful of people. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do want to also um, say on the topic of citation, um, I do think of, for example, like what Nadi says about remixing. I think when she remixes, it's truly a remix where I don't think you can see the hint of the original as much, or I think you can see bits and pieces of the original, but like it's, it's all kind of, you know, then wrapped up together into something that's new and naughty's and i feel like in those sorts of cases she's like kind of it's like that like creative commons and then like what's like like she's like modified enough of the original that's her own that i'm like i don't think you need to do any sort of like inspired by or anything but i also come across examples of like when it's like a one-to-one it's almost like a one-to-one and maybe they like change the data set or something in that case i would feel feel really unhappy if there's no like inspired by like this piece or something and I think that's really the big difference if somebody uses the exact same code um, Mm -hmm. and very similar data set I believe that's just plagiarism yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) that just should not happen now let me take a a twist on this so you both share a lot of your code and a lot of the code Mm -hmm. people just get by by inspecting the code so is there a point where you feel like you own that code or because it's, you know, often built on an open source platform that if someone grabbed your code, so so it's not the it's going to be they're going to grab the code but they're going to change it, they're going to basically do let's just say what Naughty did, right? Like they're going to remix it, but the but the base is going to be off a of code, you know, code that you put out there. Do you feel like people need to cite the fact that they started with your code or that's just, you know, that's open source and you're freely providing that? If it's a true remix, so even I would feel that, you know, it's, I can, 
even I might be able to see that maybe it started out at, as this thing, but it became its own unique thing, then yeah. then no, that's totally fine if they use that sort of that starting code. Um, but it is a gray area where it goes from play copycat to uh, to the remix part. So then it, it depends on the the specific case yeah. and how right. friendly the pe the per like the person making that new visual is, right. I guess. I've thought about this a lot, um, a lot, because I think, um, and and the conclusion that I've come to is that while, yes, we've open sourced our code, um, I actually think that our work is um, less similar to open source libraries, where it's kind of like, it's this tool that people have built with the intention for other people to use it. Um, and ours is more like an artwork where we have yeah. our own style and we have our own intention with it. In general, if someone takes my code and gets inspiration from it, modifies it enough, and, and yeah, it's a gray area how much is enough, but like let's say they like, you know, write a bunch of their own code and the output is their own artwork with their own style. I'm really happy when that happens. I'm like, oh, you were like, you liked my work so much that you went and did something in that style. Like that's super flattering. But when it's mm. like, my exact code and plopping a data set in like that a different data set in that offends me to mm. like no end because mm. i'm like you don't know the number of hours i've like thought through like this design and why i chose this design for this data set like it's actually offensive like <laughs> for yeah. you to just do that <laughs> yeah no, it's it's really interesting and you know we have i have these conversations with people at, at work all the time about you know to what extent should we release our data right because if i go and grab six data sets public data sets and i merge them together and i put all this work into cleaning it and making sure it's this and that um even if they're public data sets i put a lot of time and effort into that yeah. and so to at what point do you release something like that even though it's based on as you said Shirley, it's you know an open source platform but you've put all this time and effort into creating something off of that platform same thing if you're merging all these data sets you've created something out of all this publicly available stuff and so at what point is that sort of an ownership thing versus an open sourcing it's it's all these sort of weird gray areas yeah so we're getting towards our end of our time and so i wanted to look forward a little bit uh, data sketches volume two no just kidding i think uh, <laughs> if you're anything like me like you don't want to think about a book project for a long no, time no. Um, and and i know uh based on our our conversations we've had and on your and the other things i've heard you talk about that you both have a variety of interests um nadi's currently making a robot in front of us as we as we talk um, <laughs> um but i wanted to ask you could pick how you want to answer this question i wanted to ask about the future of data visualization so I wanted to ask either what do you see as the future of data viz and future can be whatever you want to be a year, five years, 10 years, a hundred years. Um, although we may all be underwater in a hundred years. So that might not be as, as interesting. Um, okay. So, so either what do you see for the future of data visualization or what do you want to see? Or what do you wish to see for the future in the future of data visualization, be it tools or technologies or, or, or what have you. Um, so maybe um, Nadi, you can go first if you have. Yeah. Uh, so on the one hand, I would really like it if data literacy was would increase or in general that less people would 
feel fear when they hear the word data or when they see a, a data set that um, that they wouldn't they wouldn't feel feel fear they would see kind of curiosity or or interest in it. Uh, so that would be the main thing because I think that would really help also in then my sort of my next hope is that we can all go into taking that next step beyond the bar charts and the line charts and do maybe um, using a little bit more uh, complex but not not that sort of straightforward charts uh, with the idea idea that uh, 100 years ago line charts were something that you had to properly explain to everybody like maybe in another 50 years when data literacy has has increased who knows we might not have to explain scatter plots at all because they're so right. obvious uh, or even <laughs> even other things like the sankey diagram network charts uh, and the, the loom exactly so in that sense being able to expand what we can uh, do with data sets because sometimes very specific charts can be just the right thing for that particular data set i think like sankey diagrams are amazing for certain kinds of data sets and they feel right now like they're on the cusp of of maybe getting out of that ex too exotic kind of place towards the actually this is very useful kind of place um so that's what i really hope and in terms of tools i don't know I, in that sense i kind of hope that browsers will become better so i can do more of the things that more. i have in my mind but browsers aren't able to keep up yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but, but other than that, I, I don't have any, any kind of specific things that I would want from um, a tool. I kind of like that there is this f wide variety of tools that we can use, that there's not just one, but we have Tableau or D3, or you can go crazy with WebGL or with, I don't know, Play-Doh. It, it creates this very uh, large variety. I think that's good. Yeah. Uh, but I hope we're not going to go crazy with uh, frameworks that JavaScript has and the web. It's it, like it stays it stays a, a manageable number of tools that you could use <laughs> and doesn't kind of blow up or everybody has to use this tool all of a sudden because yeah. otherwise you cannot function anymore. Uh, kind right. Of thing, so. <laughs> yeah, that we narrow into a single tool that, you know, yeah. I, I hear you. Okay. Um, Shirley, hopes, wishes, dreams for the future of DataViz? Yeah, I mean, um, Naughty took the good one, which is the data literacy part. <laughs> she did. That so, was a good one. Yeah, she that did. one was real. Yeah. Like that was she's that was thinking what about I was this the say. whole time. This whole oh. discussion, she's like, I'm gonna get it first, and I'm gonna. <laughs> I was like, and I was just thinking, I was like, ooh, I got a good one, data literacy, and then and then Naughty just goes, and I'm like. Okay, so um, you can also have data literacy. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, yeah, we don't have to compete with each other. This is no, uh, that's this right. Is, that's right. Yeah, you're already a partnership. Uh, you've got this. You've yeah, got this partnership yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not a competition. It's not a no. scarcity mindset. No, it's a, it's a, um, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that's something that I was thinking um, a lot about. Earlier on in the podcast, we mentioned something about uh, about methodologies, and I just thought, like, um, you know, we know to look at methodologies because, like, as data professionals, like, that's the first place we'll look at to, like, verify um, a chart and um, to understand where it's coming from. But that's not that's not common knowledge, and I feel like it's um, on top of being able to like see a chart and recognize what it's for. Um, I think some things like um, with all of the misinformation that's online and all of the times that like my mom has been like, look at this. And I'm uh, like, no. no. <laughs> um, 
um i i think it's it'd be really great um if there is more conversation about you know how to suss out charts or information that's not legitimate versus those that are and i think mm-hmm. it is like being able to not only kind of understand the data the chart and where it's coming from but also to know to look at the methodology so that's mm-hmm. that's one thing i think from like a general public perspective um another thing that i'm, I'm excited about and have been quite excited about is like um how data visualization is becoming more prevalent in kind of like um, the industry from like a corporation perspective. I think even like four or five years ago when I first started freelancing, um, most companies were like data viz, what's that? Like they like kind of just starting to understand the importance of like data science and data analysis and like thinking about visualization as a separate practice um, for communication wasn't even a thought on most companies' minds. And I think that's slowly, slowly like starting to change. And I'm very excited for that to happen Mm. where um, we get to a place where companies understand the value of, you know, maybe it's like internally understanding their data and the importance of communicating it, or even the importance of communicating it to their consumers. I'm enamored by what Susie Liu put out one time, and then like, she kind of just like dropped it on us and then like disappeared. (laughs) But like uh, that one receipt project she had where she like, kind of um, took one of her uh, receipts from a grocery store. And then she like, she basically, uh, I think, got like a receipt printer and then she like visualized the items that she bought as like very simple bar charts. But like she would like she put it into I think it was like uh, how much I spent on produce, how much I spent on like meat or something like that. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like this idea of um, just seeing data displayed in an easy and engaging way in items around us. That is something that I'm like really excited for. I don't know. I think it will take a while, but like five, 10, 20 years. Um, and for that to be commonplace, I think that's so cool. Cause it just means that like, um, we're hopefully much more informed. And then I guess the last thing is like, just like a personal thing of, I'm also enamored with like, you know, big installation and art. And I guess this is like the direction I want to go towards, which is kind of like installate art installations um, that have at its core is informed by data. And that data and story is like told through this installation that also is like interactive and brings the community together. Like that's just my personal dream uh, to work on. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, I so I'll, I'll just say on on the second one, I think we're closer to that than mm. ten or twenty years, right? Because like, if I look at my Apple Watch, it's got the little rings on it, right? That's like mm. it's a visualization on my watch. I I feel like we're closer to that, especially as sort of everything moves to being on your phone. Like when you mm-hmm. can just you know tap your phone to the credit card thing. You know, I can imagine you don't have to print the bar chart on a receipt. It could actually show up on your on your phone, right? Yeah. Um, so I think we're close to that. I think that's really a really cool idea. And yeah, um, yeah the data viz art is when we're back in museums. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, that's, that's great. Or or even in like outside yeah. common spaces, because that's yeah. that's also another conversation of like putting things in museums is actually kind of inherently like exclusionary. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's a whole separate conversation. That's a and whole a separate conversation. Rant but that I will not get into. <laughs> no, but it's but it's it's true, right? I mean, you look at how many people like surround the bean in Chicago on a nice summer day. Yeah. Like, you you could have something that's data driven that that people are you know surrounding. So yeah, okay. whole other conversation. Yeah, we could talk forever. Thank you both so much for for coming on the show. Congrats again on the on the book. Um, Thank it you is so much. lovely. Thank you. And I have been inspired just by uh, peeking through it. So um, I will link to these other interviews you've done so people can hear more about you guys ranting about color, uh, which I think was on maybe Coles. the Coles interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, more on process on Allie's interview. So there's a lot that people can learn from. So thanks to you both for coming on the show. It's been really uh, great chatting with you. Thank you so much, John. Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure. And thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you'll check out more episodes of the podcast uh, going back through the archives. I hope you'll also join me on some of the new episodes of the All Charts Considered sessions on the Clubhouse app. Again, if you need an invitation, just send me a note over at policyviz.com. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A number of people help bring you the Policy Viz podcast. Music is provided by the NRIs. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you would like to help support the podcast, please share it and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy Viz podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. If you'd like to help support the show financially, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash policyviz. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.